Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifesightNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and we have a really important interview today. Now, any of you who follow the news, which I assume is everybody who listens to this podcast, will probably be glued to what's going on between Russia and Ukraine right now. And in the fog of war, it's very difficult to figure out what's true, what isn't, what's propaganda, what isn't. And one of the things that I've tried to do on this show is kind of cut through the hype around the news, try to talk to experts, authors, journalists, people on the ground, and to give you a better or at least a more human picture of what's actually going on. And it's interesting because I, in 2018, I, I went to Russia for, for a two-week reporting trip, which was really fascinating insight into the way a lot of Russians think about Vladimir Putin and what's going on in their country. Uh, some people really supported him. Uh, many others that I met were simply ambivalent about him since Russia had suffered through a thousand years of bad leadership and Vladimir Putin to many of them uh, was just more of the same. What's really interesting is I happened to be there uh, when it was 2018. I happened to be there on the fifth anniversary of the invasion of Crimea, and there was a, a massive flag-waving party complete with pop stars and Putin himself just outside Red Square in the shadow of the Kremlin. And a friend and I who were there were, were about 150 feet away uh, from Vladimir Putin at this party. But I'll admit that although I've, I've tried to stay up to date with what's going on, uh, in Ukraine, uh, that when it comes to the intricacies of Ukrainian politics and and who is in the right over NATO and all of these different things, that I'm not an expert. And I suspect that most of those who are currently opining on these subjects on Twitter are also not experts. Uh, I noticed people who have been filled with bad foreign policy advice for 20 years suddenly speaking with great certainty on things that there's just simply no way that we can know, uh, acting like there are simple solutions to an obviously and very complex problem. But what I wanted to do today is I wanted to speak with somebody who's actually in Kiev, uh, who's in the capital, somebody who is experiencing these things uh, herself. I've spoken to several people now who are in the capital city who have been witnessing things uh, for themselves. And today I'm talking to uh, Darina Ribro. Uh, she actually writes for, for the same magazine that I do. I write for, I'm a contributing editor for the European Conservative. And uh, Darina also writes for that magazine. She's currently working on a piece for them about uh, what life is like behind the front lines during this war. And I wanted to talk to her and just get her perspective, to get a human perspective on what's going on, because although the geopolitics of war are always incredibly complicated, a war is also first and foremost a human tragedy with a thousand faces. And many of us have seen these faces on Twitter. Many of us have tried to figure out which videos are real, which ones are not, and what the truth is in all of this. And so in order to shed just a little bit of light on the situation, uh, I managed to contact Drina. She was kind enough to agree to speak with me. And this is her perspective from Kiev, Ukraine, on what is going on right now. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And I have to say, I was just incredibly impressed uh, by her courage and her sense of humor in what must be a terrifying situation. Hi, Drina. Maybe just uh, for starters, would you mind uh, introducing yourself to our listeners? My name is Darina. I am from Ukraine, uh, born and raised here in Kiev. Uh, I am a writer. I write articles for both local media, like Christians for Ukraine, um, and also for European, like European conservative. Uh, I have a degree in law and journalism, and it comes uh, in handy now during this war a lot. So you, you are in Kiev at the moment, correct? 
Yes, between airport and the central streets. So when did this all start for you? The war with Russia started in 2014, and it was shocking that time. Neither us, me personally, nor the country was ready. Our army was very weak. But now after eight years and three months of just standing on our borders, we feel more um, of Russian army. We feel more prepared, uh, both mentally and physically. Of course, some people were not. They left the country. They fled uh, as they heard rumors of war. Some people fled when it started. But most Ukrainians have a very strong patriotic position now and many Christians now also, they're helping here. It was still, of course, shocking because no one expected such big war. We thought maybe he will be enough with the east of Ukraine and we will fight there. Maybe he will focus his forces in Crimea. So when he um, started to shoot simultaneously in different parts of Ukraine, we were shocked. First minute, yes. So when it started, were you in Kiev at the time? Yes, it was Thursday morning and uh, I woke up. My mom woke me up saying that like my dad called me and he wanted to say something urgent. And then I read in news that uh, there were uh, there was shelling in Kiev, uh, a few metro stations away from where we live. So I realized that it began. Um, we were waiting. There, were, there was tension in advance. Uh, for a few months and now it began but for some reason it took me a few minutes to just uh, understand it and after that I realized that we have to work now especially in ideological way ideological level to fight with propaganda and we can worry and be anxious when the war ends so I postponed it for the later And uh, at that moment, my team and I, we were doing our best to give at least some information and encouragement for our audience. So it's very difficult for people to know what's going on because they say, well, all the stories we're hearing from from both sides uh, are propaganda. So when you say you want to fight an ideological war, you mean you want to get your perspective out? Or what do you mean when you say that? I would say that there is a reality that uh, Russian propaganda twists. Uh, and they do it professionally. They have a lot of people and experts working in doing that. And they showed their skills in USSR. <laughs> they showed it before. Um, until now, uh, they are doing their, their best to say, oh, we did not do crimes against humanity, even during USSR, uh, USSR times. And all is documented. You can find proofs. They just don't like to accept the reality when it doesn't go along with their agenda. When I say battle of war in ideological, on ideological level, I mean doing our best to state what is true. As Christians, we honor truth a lot, and we believe that uh, truth uh, sets us free, even right now from the Russian aggressor. As long as we are stating the truth um, as much as we can in different ways, he cannot withstand but yes, the battle is brutal, both physical and ideological, because uh, Russia has decades and so many years of experience on how to twist everything. And the Russian citizens, they live in this information bubble for a long time. 
for a few days since the war began. They did not even know that the war began. Uh, their relatives and friends, they were calling them and then explaining and sending photos and videos because their uh, mass media in Russia were doing their best to hide the information from them. Ukrainians are more open to truth and they are searching the truth. They are checking the news uh, through various uh, systems. They are checking the news, whether it's right, whether it's true. One of the reasons I, I had wanted to talk to you, besides the, the fact that we both write for the same magazine, is I've been reading some of your updates and, and I really wanted to just convey to listeners what's actually going on on the ground. That seems to me to be the very best way of just conveying to people what the reality is, is you're actually in the capital city. What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? I had this uh, weird feeling that everyone knows it. Um, I realized that I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, even from other cities, people call me and I need to share with them and I need to do it better than I do right now. We hear sirens every day, many, many times. Uh, we hear shelling in the first days. The shelling was uh, very loud. It was more often. And we could hear the bombs even inside the bomb shelter. We can see soldiers passing on the streets. Uh, the uh, local citizens have united in organization, um, territorial defense. In Ukrainian, uh, they have guns. And you, you can tell who is yours and who is enemy because uh, Ukrainians, Ukrainian soldiers and the Citizens, the armed citizens, they have a yellow tape on their shoulders. But yeah, we can hear sirens. The first day, uh, the sirens, of course, they were, it was very eerie. It was very uh, scary to hear them. You immediately want to hide. You immediately uh, want to be in a different place completely. You want to have the skill of uh, just transporting yourself here, there, and to be, I don't know, in Nairobi <laughs> or uh, in, in, in the States, in Washington, just observing some monuments. You don't want to be in the moment when the siren goes on because it feels like you're a part of some creepy game and you don't know who will, who will die, you know? You don't know where there's going to be shelling you don't know when they're gonna, where they're gonna bomb the place where the warplanes will fly by. So all you can do is just sit where you are at your home and pray if you believe in God or do whatever you think is best <laughs> and hope that you are not the one that will die after the siren, after the shelling. Yeah, some people already unfortunately like died some hundreds of civilians who did nothing against Putin personally or Russians, uh, they died. Uh, I, I guess 16 children died. Uh, today, as President Zelensky shared in one of the interview, that yesterday 16 children died. Um, and the number, the, the full number is yet unknown. But 16 children is already too much, and even one. Uh, that civilian is already too much because every life matters. So when you stay in Kiev or Kharkiv, Odessa, Mariupol, those the cities that are under attack currently, you really don't know where where you should be. 
because some people uh, they went to the um, to the shelter to the bomb shelter and uh, they were under attack and now they are staying there they cannot get out because there was only one exit for example or it was not a good place like it was not well equipped and when the shelling happened now all of those people who were looking for safety there now they're in this one scary place where they cannot get out and in after some of these occasions people died together in the in the bomb shelter when you stay at home we are recommended to hide behind two walls so in the skyscrapers in the buildings in the city because first wall um, receives the attack, the first attack, uh, and the second wall actually protects you. So if like most most flats in Kiev, they they have a second wall uh, behind the bathroom or kitchen. So people are recommended to sleep in the corridors of their flats. And uh, you've posted pictures of yourself as well in, in the bomb shelter. So when do you go down to the bomb shelter when the sirens go off or when you hear the shelling? At first, we would go there um, when we hear siren and just, as we made the decision, for example, to sleep in the shelter, we went there because we heard that uh, that night there's going to be bombing in, in Heling in Kiev, so we slept there. I was sick before that, and after we slept in the bomb shelter, I had bronchitis, so um, because of the conditions, like it's underground, it's cold, it's so people who choose to sleep in the bomb, shel- bomb shelter, they know they are possibly becoming sick after that, or... Um, and so on. Some of my friends who took their small children to bomb shelter have their children now sick with bronchitis and cold and other things. Um, so our decision was just to spend the night there. Uh, after that, we heard many sirens in different um, different time of day and night. But because uh, we decided to stay with grandparents and they, are hard, they find it hard to move fast because of their age and sicknesses, because of them, we made decision to hide behind two walls at our home and not to go to the shelter. Not to mention that the shelter near our home turned out to be not so not so protected, maybe, because there is only one exit. There are pipes that are leaking, and we don't know what will happen with these pipes with hot, hot, hot water if there is shelling. It's a bit scary both ways. Uh, but the life within the shelters is very interesting. Um, before we chose to go in that one, which is in the library, uh, we went to the school sh- bomb shelter, uh, the official governmental bomb shelter, and another school bomb shelter. And uh, inside of them, there are like small rooms or sometimes small spaces. Uh, separated from each other by uh, thin walls and families go there with small children and they create recreate what they have at home they bring uh, uh, some bread uh, some cheese water tea and coffee they bring their pets there are beautiful dogs right now in the shelter you can just go there to enjoy the view 
big Labradors, uh, German Shepherds, decorative dogs, many uh, cats in their bags. Inside the shelter, it sometimes, it depends on the shelter, of course, but it smells like home. <laughs> it smells uh, with chai and it smells with uh, kalbas, like with ham and bread. And if the cat uh, was not nice, it smells like cats. <laughs> but the atmosphere generally is very peaceful because parents are doing their best to calm their children down. So they are calm, children are calm. But there was one moment that really touched me a lot when we were in one shelter. Uh, there was a boy playing with a plastic uh, pipe and he was saying, look, mom, I'm a siren. And he was doing this sound like, ooh, ooh, like a siren that he heard in the sky. And it's it really, it's stayed with me until this moment. It was a few days ago. He was so small, maybe seven or eight years old. And this war already affected him. Uh, he plays in siren. He plays in a soldier. In American maybe games, there's, there are uh, cowboys fighting someone every every nation tries to make games for children or the children play and they make enemies of something they are told is bad so ukrainian children are playing against russians in their games the bad guy in the children's game is russian because of the context of what's happening right now i know that if you look at the pictures there's there's hundreds and hundreds maybe more of vehicles um on the road from kiev all the way out of the country what made you and your family decide to stay in the city there were two reasons uh first is the age of our grandparents and uh, the fact that we did not want to leave them they were telling us, they, they became a little bit fatalistic. They were saying, go, leave me here to die, <laughs> like this. And we told them, like, it did not raise us this way. <laughs> it's your problem. You had to raise us to be selfish if you want us to live right now. So we decided to stay for them. But the second uh, reason, and it's more conscious, is... Um, because we strongly believe that as Christians, we should be where the problem is. If God put us uh, in, in the city and he let the situation happen, it was not because he wanted to immediately get us out. It's because he wanted us to uh, be helpful to our neighbors in this time, uh, in people in the shelter, in people in the, uh, on the streets. That's why we are here. And if we live right now, because it's our motherland, um, it, it's 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 somehow symbolically it's like also like mother because I am who I am because I am Ukrainian in some way. I think the way I do my mentality is shaped because of the nation I grew up in. So it's like my mother as well, my motherland. So when my mother is um, uh, assaulted and hurt and uh, is beaten by some bandits how can i leave her you know how can i forgive myself after that it strikes me as i'm talking to you though that it's kind of surreal right i'm in a sort of a safe studio talking to you and you sound so you know upbeat and and you sound so calm in what must be a pretty terrifying situation so what is it that gives you gives you this sense of calm in the middle of an invasion that the entire world is watching 
my parents are doctors so by the profession they have they they are calm in stressful situation and i guess they taught me to be like this but also i find sense of humor really helpful in this time because putin can destroy our television tower he can kill people he can destroy our beautiful schools and architecture but he cannot make us stop making jokes <laughs> and if you look through ukrainian social media right now there are so many hilarious memes and pictures and people just finding humor in even hard situations it keeps the spirit alive i think of course there are some situations which are not to make joke about but uh, once you've passed through them and you want to feel better it's it's better to make a joke uh, right now one of the biggest sources of joke is of course the rush the captured russians it turned out that most of the soldiers the brave and responsible and great soldiers that putin sent in ukraine first of all they did not want to go here they did not want to fight this this war and second so many of them are children like so many of them are younger than me 20 years old 19 18 he basically sent uh, so many children to the war i mean mentally children of course like you can say they're 20 or or 19 but they are and our ukrainian soldiers they, they capture them and record the videos of um, uh, talking to them and upload to a few different telegram channels and they tell them the same thing uh, say hello to your mother so this captured russian boys they say hello mom i'm in this situation please take me home you know and with this ruthless image of russian army that putin tried his best to create you see this young boy with blue eyes almost crying saying mom please call mr putin so he takes me home you know when you see this contrast you can't help but think that that's everything that's going on right now all of those people who are murdered on both sides it's just because i don't know putin forgot to take his meds or something because no one wants his this war except for him and uh, currently russians are enemies to my country uh but the ultimate uh, enemy is of course putin himself and the enemy behind him because right now you know putin ordered his soldiers to shoot in uh, at civilian people this is another level of just brutality at this point they are shooting at elderly from their back uh, there is a video of one grandpa who was shot by the soldier they are shooting at schools and they even shot at onco oncology hospital in the city of melitopol like who they are fighting for children elderly they are fighting against uh, against patients with cancer like is it is it a real threat for russia people with cancer and children i wanted to ask you about this because one of the difficulties 
um, with sort of the digital age is it's very difficult to verify what has happened and what has not. And and you see that, you know, like something happens, it gets tweeted out, a video gets tweeted out, and it goes viral before anybody confirms what has actually happened. So you had that with the um, the uh, the um, Ukrainian uh, soldiers on, on Snake Island, who first it was said that they had they had died. Um, after getting shelled by a Russian warship, and now, um, now they're now it's being said no, they were actually alive, and so and yet this was a story for three or four days that everybody everybody had saw and everybody believed. How can we actually determine what is besides talking to people like yourself, right? How can we confirm what is actually going on and what is sort of fog of war, you know, things going viral, videos that are a couple of years old being uploaded? How can we start to discern what's true from what is not? I would say that as Ukrainians, we are a little bit lucky to receive approved information faster, I guess, if we can, if I can say we're lucky. I think the fact-checking organizations help a lot. I know that they are not perfect, and I know that they've already had their share of mistakes in the past, uh, especially when it comes to left liberal fact checking uh, methods, and that's true. <laughs> yeah, but the necessity of fighting against the Russia Russian propaganda created a list of organizations who are fact checking things here at least, and then um, they give to the to the media something that they they've proved to be true because of the in because of the internet's uh, speed and uh, accessibility of many people to it people send videos and photos from places they actually are standing and in most cases you can link the video or photo to a certain person and just having data about where he lives who he is and uh, knowing his friends, relatives, and so on, you can say for sure it's true, for example. But I agree with you that in some cases it's unclear whether it's truth or not, and the media and the organization that respect uh, their name, they add at the end, they say, okay, this is the information we're giving to you right now, we are still checking it, um, and if it's not true, we will let you know. And they do. There were some cases when they would post something, then they will they would write a few hours later, for example, okay, that that was not true, that was fake. Uh, we are disproving it. Please be be careful about this information. But in some cases, they say, yeah, we checked it. It's true. And sometimes even you hope that some information is. Is fake, you know, because of how horrendous and how bloody it is about some people killed and some videos showed. And then when you hear it was actually truth, you you don't feel good about this truth, you know. But still, it's it's better than lies. Better hard truth than sweet lies. No, I know what you mean, because when you hear those soldiers on Snake Island are still alive, right? You're relieved. It's good, right? It, the tragic element of the story. Um, was that, that that they had ostensibly died, but the fact that they had not is is good news for for them for their families, right? It it should be something that everybody is 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 very happy about, and that leads me to to another question because I know many Christian Ukrainians did not like President Zelensky, 
And now you see that he is displaying, you know, great courage. Um, he is, by all accounts, refusing to leave the capital. Um, he's already he's already showed enormous courage under fire. And I've pointed out to a lot of people that, regardless of his past as a as a TV actor, and and I, I'm not an expert on Ukrainian politics, so I frankly have no idea, um, you know, if he's more or less corrupt than the previous president. I don't I just don't know that. What I do know is that from from what we can see. Um, he's showing great um, courage under fire. So what would you as a Ukrainian Christian, um, when a lot of Ukrainian Christians had problems with the president, president say about all of this? He was the biggest surprise of all of this mess. A lot of people did not expect him to behave the way he behaves now, especially that he became a hero in international media. Like they're making pictures of him looking like, I don't know, Alexander Makedonsky or someone, Alexander the Great or someone else. That was a great surprise. But I would say that when the real big scale war happened in the center of Ukraine and the West East simultaneously South North, many expectations did not meet with the reality. Many people who declared themselves to love the country, to love the people in the area, to fight, they said we would fight, we we will learn how to shoot. Many of them left, even uh, the night before escalation happened. Uh, Many people who you would say are shy or fearful, uh, they stayed. (laughs) And I see even around myself, some of the friends who I consider to be extremely brave, I don't know, level-headed, they left very fast. And some people, including myself, we just decided to stay. And some other friends of mine who I did not know they're so strong and brave, they stayed. So this whole process, it's just a big surprise for me and I think for many other people. No one expected that Ukrainian army would be so strong. I mean, of course, of course, we know our army is strong. But when we are talking about the Russian army, it's uh, background and experience and blah, blah, blah. And the previous situation in Uzbekistan and the way Putin tries to control the whole world, like you know, it's Goliath, you know, it's, you, you don't expect Ukrainian army to be so ruthless and fearless in front of the Goliath, but it turned out to be this David and the prayers, the great, the great work our strategists do and the army does, it's like the stone, you know, that is flying from the David's hand in the uh, Goliath's uh, uh, forehead. So yeah, President Zelensky, he was a great surprise for many people. And I don't know yet the whole picture. Uh, I know that during war, uh, all internal problems within country, actually, they don't matter, you know. We, you just postpone it for later. If there was a problem in the country with uh, um, corruption, you postpone it for later. Because that there's the priority getting enemy out and <laughs> as you know uh even it, it's more like it, it's a very funny situation you know that europe has problem with gypsies and gypsies have problem with europe so this problem is very old and so on but <laughs> when russian people came to ukraine uh gypsies stole russian tank <laughs> and it's and it's ridiculous. You can even see the video on the internet how 
one gypsy he proudly says like look uh, like you like you did not believe or something like that but i was here i'm a gypsy and i stole a russian tank so you know this stereotype about gypsies it it was so hilariously put into practice and we are happy for them please steal more russian tanks please steal more russian passports please steal russians like <laughs> it it's just amazing so yeah we put many internal problems on hold first priority is uh, this russian monster getting its paws out of uh, ukraine and zelensky yeah he plays a great role uh, and you can see on some ukrainian publics people telling um, we will talk about the problems that Zelensky uh, probably did in the past for the later. Currently, we are proud of him. Currently, he's a great president. Currently, he is our head commander. And we respect him. We honor him. We don't say, we don't even dare to say something bad about him because it's war. When the war ends, then we can say something, but within our country, not to involve others in. But he, yeah, he turned out to be a great president. One of the other things I wanted to ask, because it's it's when when you, when you're just seeing Twitter, when you're just seeing the newspaper, of course, it's always true that people go to where the conflict is and where the action is and where the powerful photographs can be taken. So it makes sense that even when you're consuming media that's true, it's very hard to get a balanced picture of what's actually going on. So. Uh, most of the images coming out of Kiev right now have to do with, you know, civilians figuring out uh, how to, you know, get Kalashnikovs or build Molotov cocktails or all these kinds of things. What, what is actually going on with the, the civilians? So you've talked quite a bit about the Ukrainian army, um, but are all of the reports and the videos of, of Ukrainian civilians um, gearing up to push back? Are those also accurate? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, the whole nation works as a team currently. Uh, young, all different professions, it doesn't matter anymore. We are all just humans helping each other. Police is teaching people how to make um, Molotov cocktails. Women are teaching men how to give first aid. Men are teaching women how to shoot. I mean, the women who are potentially uh, having license or whatever, like you cannot just shoot. Because if I go shooting, I will kill someone I did not want to because of my bad side. I need my glasses. I need my chamomile tea to shoot well. And no one will give me chamomile tea during war. Yeah, so really civilians, they united. And as a team, we are working. Uh, people found their niche in different things. Someone is helping neighbors. Someone is helping in the shelter. Someone is uh, making Molotov cocktails. Someone is taking part in informational war. Many of my friends and I, because of our profession as journalists or someone, just someone involved in the media, we are working for this right now. We are gathering facts. We are gathering interviews. We are gathering information that we may need. And we are trying to encourage people. My mom is a doctor, for example. Uh, she went for a walk uh, yesterday and also to go to the pharmacy or the drugstore. And as she was standing in the line, which, which is pretty big because, you know, in the supermarkets and in the pharmacy, we have super big lines right now. But people, are, they are calm, they're standing. So as she was standing there, her neighbor called her from the line and said, oh, 
one guy feels bad. So she ran there and she saw that he had epilepsy seizure. So as a doctor, she helped him. And uh, yeah, he survived because of that. And there, there were some other people feeling bad in the shelter. One lady and her son, they had panic attack. I had bronchitis and, uh, you know, people are getting sick. And despite she's not in hospital because she's doctor, she's helping here and so on, you know. Everyone finds their niche. Everyone finds something they can do good, even if it's just cleaning, you know, cleaning the streets from snow. Because today we, it was snowing and uh, some people, they clean the street. And it's, you know, it, it, it's very funny, whatever you do this day, which is just noble, which is good, even as simple as it is, as cleaning the street, you're ultimately have, helping the army. Because probably Ukrainian tank will need to cross the street and uh, they need a clean street. Uh, a Ukrainian soldier may need the help of the guy who had epilepsy seizure and now he's okay. Um, someone may need to read some small information about the update and I did it even, even if it's something small. So just if you are where you are doing what you have to do in the quality way, you're helping in this war. And this is impressive, you know. It gives another perspective to what is important. Even smallest things are important in the war. So I'm just impressed with my nation, with my president. I'm impressed with, uh, with everything. I'm not impressed with Mr. Putin, so please tell him if you have a chance. <laughs> I'm not impressed with him, and they should stop this. You've told before, right now, you're, you know, you're only allowed to use candlelight. You're basically under a blackout at night. What does the day look like? Because, of course, again, you, the, the media reports uh, of Kiev is a city under is a city under siege, essentially. But you're talking about standing in supermarket lines. So what is it like on the ground during the day? When you get up in the morning, what is your air quotes, normal day look like in a city that's that's being invaded? We wake up, and that's very good to wake up during war, <laughs> because some people do not. So even a few days ago when I was going to sleep, we thought we'll have nuclear war two days ago, because Putin said some bellany and everyone believed as usual. And so we were going to sleep not knowing whether we would wake up. So I made a Facebook post just saying goodnight, my friends, because I knew everyone is anxious, including me. And I honestly, I gave myself to God and I just in case repented of the new sins I committed. <laughs> and I, I proclaimed, Jesus, you are my Lord, just in case, you know. Uh, so and I went to sleep knowing that I may not wake up here. I may see St. Peter and I should prepare a speech to why I am there. So when I woke up in the morning and I saw that my street is still standing, my family is drinking coffee, just chatting about this, that, I felt relieved. It was very nice to wake up. You know, Jonathan, it gives you great motivation. When you were not sure whether you would wake up or not, then you wake up and you're like, okay, I don't need procrastination in my life anymore. I don't need some stupid YouTube videos anymore. I don't need some, you know, the, the things that used to eat your time. You don't need it anymore because you won another day. Uh, so yeah, you wake up and you have breakfast unless you're fasting because uh, you don't know, maybe you will have to run, run today to the shelter. Maybe you'll have to run today from the Russian with a gun. So you have breakfast, you have your lunch, you have your dinner. 
and then depending on what's your niche, you act accordingly. So I would log in my social media, which I should limit at this point a little bit <laughs> because it's too much also. And then you just work. Uh, my mom finds herself calling different friends and relatives, encouraging them, praying with them. We have a prayer shield right now happening in various churches where they pray 24-7. So she likes to do that as well. My grandpa's niche is to watch news and be anxious. <laughs> and it's not the best niche, but, you know, someone has to do it. It helps him when I come and just hug him or kiss him. Then he forgets about anxiety for a few uh, seconds. Yeah, and then you go to sleep again in the in the darkness. We started to go to sleep pretty early, you know. In the past, we would stay up maybe until 11 or midnight. But now it's 7.42 right now, p.m. here, and it's already dark because of the need not to turn on any light. And you want to sleep. Your biological clock is extremely happy during war because you finally are going to sleep when it's dark and you wake up when it's light. There are some good things about this war, but they are not worthy of <laughs> all of this that is going on right now. I was going to say that was an insight that I did not expect. How do you get your information, right? Because, you know, when people talk about Kiev, they think it's a city. Well, you must know everything that's going on in the city. Well, cities are, are extremely large and Kiev is as well. So from you and your neighborhood, how do you know, how do you find out what's going on everywhere else? Are you more or less getting the same videos and same reports as people around the world are? Or do you have a different ways of getting your information? You're right, because the city is big. We are also in a bubble of our street. We are limited to where our uh, feet can bring us and they cannot bring us too far. Uh, because uh, right now there are some Russian, pro-Russian people working in the city. They are marking some places. They're putting bombs here, there. So the soldiers and the people who are involved in territorial defense, they are shooting uh, suspicious people. And if you are walking here, there, taking picture of this dad, because I like taking picture of this dad, there is a big chance of being shot. Yeah, even when I visited my father in the hospital uh, yesterday and I was leaving the place, we saw a patient bro uh, brought in by the ambulance with a bullet um, wound in his arm. Uh, and another day, a uh, lady disobeyed the curfew. And she went for a walk because every lady needs her 30 minutes of walk. And she got shot in the hip. To my father, he's ultrasound uh, doctor, ultra diagnostics. I, I'm struggling with English a little bit as when it comes to medical <laughs> things. Yeah, he was uh, checking her in. He was uh, taking care of her because... And she got shot for the suspicious activity during the curfew in her hip. So we cannot uh, walk too far to find out what's going on. What we do, we just call each other. You know, because of this social media fever, uh, most of uh, uh, most people younger than 30, I forgot which generation we are with all this alphabet people. I forgot Z, Z generation Z, bad. I, I, I don't know what generation we are. We are afraid of calling each other, you know? We just text with smiley faces and there is some specific language. 
behind every smiley face. But now when the war started, you can't imagine we made uh, mobile services so, so rich because we stopped uh, texting each other. We started to call because if your friend is wounded somewhere or needs help, you know, it, it may probably be hard to text. So we just call each other. What we did in the first few days, we called all of the people, the friends, the relatives that we probably did not call for a long, long time. And we just enjoyed hearing each other's voices because it, it it's a declaration. Your friend or your relative is alive, just hearing the voice even for phone. So praise God for mobile services. I, I don't mind making them rich as long as they make us happy. <laughs> so we find out information from each other. We call each other because we know where who lives or where someone went. So we ask, okay, what's going on? And we find out, okay, we had siren, we had bombing, we had shelling, we had this problem that please pray for me. Okay, no, please pray for me. Of course they will. And you hope not to forget. But also a lot of information we get from the Telegram channels. Uh, when the war started, there appeared uh, many Telegram channels giving fast information from different locations. Uh, with people sending their photos and videos. So when you go there, you can see uh, what's going on here, there. And sometimes, to be honest, that's too much information. It has been, I guess, how many days of war? Today is Wednesday, right? Seven days of war. But it feels like, I don't know, seven months, honestly. Whoever I speak to right now, from my friends, from my relatives, it feels like it has been, I don't know, seven months because of how much information we consume every day. It's too much for a brain. It's too much for the emotions of average person. So yeah, it feels longer than it is. Where do you just see yourself going from here, right? Like today is Wednesday. This will air tomorrow on, on March 2nd. Things could have changed by then. What is your view of how th you think things will go over the next few days? To be honest, it's very hard to plan the next five minutes. Yeah, so we don't have big plans. I was supposed to get married in the spring, so we have to postpone everything. And and my fiancé is in another country, so God bless his soul. He really, this time for him is extremely hard when I'm here and he wants to help and he doesn't know how. He already sends some money to the army. He calls me every day. He's patient when I'm not. So I really praise God for him, for his, for his heart. But even planning wedding right now, it's so ridiculous. Like, I don't know which colors I want for my wedding. I don't know which food I want, which relatives to invite, because I don't know who will survive, you know? How can I make a wedding list if I don't know who will survive? What if I write someone there and, you know, he does not or she does not? It's, you know, it's so, it's so creepy at this point. We just live in the moment, but we hope for the future to be bright and peaceful. But it's very hard to plan longer than even two, three minutes. You try not to, like, if you can fry your food, you do it because if you bake it, it will take longer time. If you can just wash your hair with shampoo, you don't use any conditioner because it will take shorter time. You try to do everything mundane faster because you don't want to be uh, caught in the moment when you are fragile or, you know, helpless. This very creepy time, yeah. Well, Darina, thank you so much. 
for taking the time to talk to us about this. I know I really appreciate it. My big pleasure. This is one of the things we are trying to do right now. And this is the reason why I'm extremely grateful to you. And it's my, my 100 billion percent honor to talk to you because we are trying to break through this uh, information wall that Russia is trying to build. So when someone reaches out to us and asks what's going on, we, we are more than happy to to share uh, both uh, you know gruesome details and some funny jokes like gypsies stealing their tank <laughs> you know we're still laughing about this because it's so funny and it's true you know it's funny when it's true so yeah gypsy stole the tank that's the help we did not expect Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Darina Ribro, who is currently in Kiev, Ukraine. These were her insights and her personal experiences about the war that's currently going on there uh, between Russia and Ukraine. I hope this gave you a little bit of insight into what's going on. I hope that uh, when you listened to her, you found her as compelling uh, as I did. I hope to talk to her more in the coming days. It is really surreal when you think of families uh, that are going through this, that regardless of the, the geopolitical aspects of all of this, there are families, that there are young people, that they're trapped in a war that is not of their making. I just got a message actually on WhatsApp from somebody else I'm speaking to from the same area shortly after we got off the phone saying uh, a bomb just fell nearby. And that's a reality uh, for, for millions of people right now. And I hope we can keep this in, in the forefront of our mind and also in our prayers. Thank you so much for listening to this show. If you want to check out past interviews or subscribe to future interviews, please go to lifesitenews.com, click on the podcast tab, and you can subscribe there, and you will get it delivered to you every single week. Thank you so much.